Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte clear liners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you could pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Man, that sunset is gorgeous. Grill, patio, sunset. Hard to get better than that. Unless you're browsing Carvana's inventory while you soak it all in. Oh, burger time. So sit back, get comfortable. Carvana's got thousands of cars under $20,000 just waiting for you. I could stay here forever. Carvana, where car buying meets comfort meets convenience. Download the app or visit Carvana.com today. And we welcome you to another edition of Hollywood and Levine. I am Ken Levine, your podcast host. This is part two of my two-part interview with Dave Beezing. If you missed part one, after you listen to this, go back and check that out. I have a feeling you will, because he's a fascinating guest. He's very articulate and very insightful. He is a longtime radio programmer, also a radio consultant, and he is now involved in podcasting and research and you know, a lot of things. And we're talking about terrestrial radio, satellite radio, streamers, Spotify, podcasting, music, the state of the music industry, the state of the broadcast industry. It's really interesting stuff, and it changes by the day. So if you want to stay up on what you're listening to and how you're listening to it, this is the guy to listen to. Dave Beezing, part two, coming up right now on Hollywood and Levine. Right-wing radio dying, finally. I think right-wing radio listeners are dying. That's Not causing... enough. <laughs> oh, I'll get, I'll, get, I'll get letters for that. Howard Hoffman, I'll please get, I'm going to get angry emails. At HollywoodLevine at Outlook.com. I used to listen to your show, and then you said something that was so... Yeah, go on. <laughs> I I think that it is slowly. Uh, it, it didn't, not to again be crass, but the death of Rush Limbaugh contributed greatly to that as well. Uh, you still got Ben Shapiro and some others going that are quite successful. But the they tend to be on AM radio. I'm not sure it would be helped that much if they were more on FM, although that's probably going to happen increasingly just as FM loses its music position to streaming. Uh, but I think the, the, the demographics of that uh, are definitely aging. So you have less and less of that. People you know, ask I knew, me, I, say, I knew Rush Limbaugh from the beginning mm. when, when he started. In uh, and, Sacramento? From Sacramento, and then when he he got his national platform, mm-hmm. and he, he was a very different guy. He was very much a radio guy, and he was 
an entertainer. Right. And he even recognized this as an act. Yes. I remember him saying to me, all of this talent, you know, on loan from God and everything. <laughs> you know, who buys that, that yeah, crap? Yeah. Right. You know? So it was all just this act at the beginning. And eventually he morphed to where he started really believing it. <laughs> it's kind of like the 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 old Colbert character when he had his show on Comedy uh -huh, Central, right? Uh, except that the he started to buy in if if Colbert had started to buy into his own act, um, yeah, yeah. I knew someone else who knew him early on. In fact, was a college roommate of his who said the guy had no interest in politics whatsoever. He was an entertainer. He was a he was a funny person. I put him on as a program director on uh krmg in tulsa oklahoma in the 80s when he was just starting to take off and i will say that his success there uh, got me a gig in detroit so the leap of the week in the trades uh so thank you rush but i justified it in my own mind back then it was a very different show he was i didn't agree with his political stamp me stance, neither but me neither. he was hilarious he was very funny i listened to all two three hours or whatever it was because he was very entertaining yeah what formats do work well these days mm-hmm um Nielsen has a with that PPM does have a tendency to pull everything to the middle to the mainstream. I think the music formats are are gradually in decline as well uh, because of streaming and other choices. Uh, I don't know. You've you've really stumped me there. I I, I think all Christmas I, music all uh, year long. Well, you know what? It would be a difference. It might actually work. Um, I, I think, I think what we were talking about in Canada with personalities and everyday part, it's going to have to go to that in some way, shape or form. It's the long tail. So it's kind of a catch 22 also to mix metaphors in that, um, you have to target more and more to exist on the long tail. You have to have, a narrow format that someone can't get anywhere else. And to do that, you're throwing out the mass appeal nature of things. I, I do think, and there was just an article this past weekend in, uh, was it the Washington Post or maybe it was the New York Times about analog, nostalgia for analog, whether it's vinyl records or it's um, going to the movie theater and actually sitting in the theater and eating popcorn or what have you that that there is some nostalgia for something it did not mention am and fm radio sadly but i do think if you put a great personality on am and fm someone who was unique and you couldn't get anywhere else then nobody cares whether it comes in on am fm satellite streaming whatever you get into a new car these days you don't know what the heck you're listening to it's just all in the dashboard so am and fm eventually won't necessarily be penalized because it's AM and FM. It's going to be on the dashboard along with everything else, much to their chagrin. Um, but it does, they do need to step it up and get with the program, as many of them are trying to, um, with on-demand offerings because the technology 
is going to have to keep up as well. You can't start a show at two o'clock and end it at five o'clock and expect that your whole audience really wants to hear it between two and five and doesn't want to rewind and is going to listen to eight minutes of commercials and all of that. Now, there's internet radio stations and they can provide those niches. You know, it's like I can have a radio station of all Vicky Carr. 24 i don't know why i would Mm -hmm. but Mm -hmm. i could and i guess the thing that holds people back is they have to pay royalties and the royalties are pretty expensive so much so that my guess is just a a normal individual you know living in his apartment or basement Mm -hmm. uh can't afford to have the all vicky car station or it, as your listenership to the All Vicky Car Station goes up in listenership, so do the fees because they're based on how many people heard. Well, that won't be a problem with the Vicky Car. <laughs> <laughs> it, just in theory, if it if there were an audience increase, the way those those royalties have to be paid is you keep track. Your electronics keep track for you, and you've got to file the reports and so forth, so on of how many people heard it when you played Vicky Carr's version of, I don't know, what's a Vicky Carr song? It must be him. It must be. That was her biggest hit, wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah. If you play, it's it. how many people were listening to It Must Be Him, and you pay by the number of people who are listening at that time. So that's why the Spotify's of the world have shifted emphasis greatly, not entirely, but to podcasting. Because... If somebody wants to create a talk program for them and throw it on their service, then Spotify can sell advertising in and around that and so forth uh, and not worry about those music licensing fees. You mentioned uh, Sirius XM Radio. Mm -hmm. They're doing well? Yes, I don't know their financials, but they are growing. Um, it's going to be interesting to see what happens when Howard Stern eventually someday retires, although he's got so much stuff in the can, the archives, that I suppose uh, he could work a deal with them to work one day a week or whatever, or not even that, and just let them play the archives for decades, and it would be entertaining. But uh, no, they're doing they're doing very well. The other one to to keep an eye on that's finally, uh, after many years of existence, really kind of starting to get a groove is TuneIn Radio. Uh, TuneIn kind of started, I was that the, I think it started in Dallas as, uh, uh, as kind of a, just a a streaming platform, an aggregate streaming platform for local radio stations, and okay, they still so have you a can lot find. You can go to TuneIn and you can find the station you want to listen to in Tulsa or right. in Detroit. Yes, absolutely. And you can still do that. Of course, you can do that on the iHeart app if it's an iHeart station or on the Odyssey app if it's an Odyssey uh, station, formerly Intercom. Uh, these are different companies for those that are not in radio. Um, they tend to have their aggregate apps as well. And some of them are also on TuneIn. But TuneIn has also gone out and bought the rights to Major League Baseball. They've bought the rights to a lot of the professional sports. And you pay an extra fee to be able to listen to that. 
much as you would a tier of programming on your TV to be able to watch all the NFL games on Sunday or what have you. So you can tune in to uh, not just otherwise you would not be able to listen to uh, your old uh, play-by-play team, the Seattle Mariners. You wouldn't be able to listen to that on tune in and just on a regular radio station coming through tune in, but they have the MLB rights so that they have the Mariners games all the time on the tune in app. They're not restricted by the deals that the, um, the major leagues made with their local stations. You might get more people listening to Vicky Carr. And you might, <laughs> you might, you might. And you get and you get um MSNBC and CNN and Fox News and a lot of those things that have also found their way to Sirius XM, they're on TuneIn as well. And now TuneIn is starting to do some programming that is what I think of as event programming, where they'll have uh, a Garth Brooks channel. Or and they've got Garth's full participation in it. Or they've got um, Tom Hanks doing Boss Radio '66 because Tom is such a fan of the music of that area, and and it's uh, it's his dream to do what you used to do to to be a flame throwing top forty DJ. I know he used to listen to me on KYA. Did he really? Yes. Oh, yeah. 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 I don't doubt it. He was a he was a fan of all, of of all of that. That's yeah. Hilarious. Yeah, I was on. KYA when he was in high school hmm. and I said I said you know I used to be a disc jockey in San Francisco because he grew up in the Bay Area mm-hmm. and um yeah I said I I was Beaver Cleaver and he goes Beaver Cleaver KYA boss of the Bay <laughs> I used to listen to you at night that's yeah. hilarious <clears throat> he's such a genuine fan of things that he's a genuine fan of it's so fun to see him geek out with people like you or uh, some local TV person that he's a fan of or whatever, because he's so sincere. It's great. Yeah. Um, back in our day, one of the advantages of listening to Top 40 Radio is that we were introduced to new music. That's how we learned about various groups and various mm-hmm. trends. How do kids today find new music? TikTok. That's certainly one of the prime ways. Uh, YouTube ranks right up there, probably even bigger than TikTok. YouTube, in effect, is a way to get a radio station for you because it's going to use the algorithms to, if you listen to a Cardi B song, bring up another song that it thinks you will like, uh, according to the statistics you would like. Um they're they're finding it my primarily through uh, social media and streaming apps like that. YouTube is so enormous, as you know, in every possible way. I mean, YouTube talk about a monopoly. I mean, that is uh, uh, the the number of hours of viewing slash listening that people do to YouTube right this moment or the number of hours. It's like a hundred thousand hours of video gets uploaded every day to YouTube. It's I, I'm pulling that out of my, you know what, but it's, it's a number like that. That may be low. YouTube is so enormous. And I think what you're finding with audio is that young people today like the video component being there as well. So they may not look at their phones 
um, or whatever their screen is all the time that they're listening, but they like having that option. So podcasters and streamers and others are slowly but surely moving more and more towards, okay, if we're going to do a podcast, let's give them some visuals that they can at least glance at. If we're going to be talking about um, some statistical thing, let's show them the pie graph or let's show them a picture of the of the fashion that we're talking about or whatever. Hmm. So if if I'm a new artist and I have a song, do I have to make a music video in order to upload my song? And when I do upload my song and I'm five minutes of the 100,000 hours that gets updated that day, how do people find me? Well, that that has always been the question to some degree. But when you go back to the old days you were talking about, the gatekeepers who were the program directors, music directors, and to some degrees, some degree, the disc jockeys of those days would um, would make those decisions as to what was going to be put out there under influence, of course, sometimes literally of the record companies. Uh, <laughs> um so there was a whole thing going on there that still exists today. And they're still promoting uh, music to radio stations and trying to get airplay. But for the most part, things just, tr- just get found and friends share them. And because they like something, it, um, it travels farther and more people see it and more people see it. It's all an electronic algorithm sort of a thing. I was having a, an interesting discussion with my kids the other day where they told me that if a video on TikTok, even if they liked it, personally liked it, not the physical act of liking, giving it that like on TikTok, they didn't want to be among the first 20,000 or whatever to do that. God, no. No, because that's embarrassing that you would like something that most people hadn't yet liked. That's wow. risky. And you would think it would be the opposite. You would think it would be, I'm so cool. Right. I yeah. find things before other people. Right. No, not at least not with my kids. Now, my kids are probably lemmings, but um, <laughs> that's an so interesting your, topic your kids, for another Your kids group. are kids of America. They are. And they, they're, they're getting their... The other thing that's happening a lot with new music is what matters is new to them. So I will be amazed many times some song will come on the radio when I've got the radio on or I'll put a song on um, A-L-E-X-A. I won't say her name to uh, annoy everybody. Um, And they will recognize a 20, 30, 40 year old song many times because they've been exposed to it through TikTok, through YouTube, through a movie soundtrack, perhaps whatever, they don't care how old it is. And in fact, if anything, it annoys them slightly that I know it because that takes a little bit of the cool away from Kate Bush running up that hill. The classic example that was in the TV show, stranger things and had a whole second life 30 years after its first release and gave her a whole new career. Um, they love that song or they did last year. It's done now. Um, and they're finding this stuff regardless of era. 
So this is one reason that you see formats you're asking about popular formats. This is one reason that you see things like classic rock stations continue to endure after many of the artists have passed away and uh, at a point when much of the audience, a majority of the audience, wasn't born when those songs first came out and were on the radio the first time. Interesting. You know, um, we would have the top 40 and the top 40 would be based on sales, going to record stores and buying the records. I guess today, most of the sales, maybe 95% of the sales is downloading, right? Yeah. It's uh, for a physical sale. Yes. But that doesn't happen very much anymore because why download something when you can just listen to it? And how do the artists make money? They get paid. They get not well. And that's certainly been a, a bone of contention from the artists that, but they get pennies for, or a fraction of a penny for every listen on YouTube or on streaming. Oh, for every listen. Yeah. Okay. And I guess if they rise to a certain level of prominence, they can start touring. Yes. And, and they make money off the touring. The touring and the merch, and they pretty much have to do that these days to to, to make a living. Of course, again, back to those artists whose music became popular years ago, they're, they're used to that. And uh, having run a classic rock station here in LA for a time, it would be one of the frustrations that would come up in conversations with those artists, whether it was uh, uh, Graham Nash or a Steve Miller or whomever who would say, why don't you play my music that I'm still making on the radio? Why don't you put it on the radio? It's just as good as what I made in 1971. And uh, sorry, um, that's just not what those formats are there to do. They play the oldies. Hmm. Let's talk about podcasting uh, for a few minutes, because that's where the real money is. Oh, I yeah. can I can tell you. And the reason <laughs> that the the money is there, it's low hanging fruit, is because there are so few podcasts. <laughs> There's mine <laughs> yeah. and I think three others. <laughs> yes. And they're all they're all sponsored by uh, your sponsor, aren't they? Yes, they are. Yes, they are. How many <laughs> podcasts are there these days? Do we get another 100,000 podcasts that drop you know, every day? Yeah. You know what? It is starting to taper off. Uh, there's something like 2 million plus, probably more in existence. But when you look at just the active ones that that people like yourself are putting effort into and putting out a regular cadence of episodes, you're down into six figures somewhere. Um, that that's plenty, of course, the barrier to entry for podcasting, as you know, (laughs) is low. Um, you can order, and this is one of the uh, frustrations in the business that I'm in of producing podcasts is explaining people the value of having a, even a producer, because you can order a couple of microphones online and plug them into your computer and be putting up podcasts for the whole, it'll be on everybody's phones and everybody's computers that they can listen to. You can get that done in just a few days. But the two issues in podcasting are exactly what you just mentioned. Discoverability is what the 
term usually is that's used is how are people going to discover these podcasts? And that's where a consolidation around some of the bigger studios, whether it's Amazon with their, their, um, their own platform and their investment in Wondery um, or Spotify gobbling up a whole bunch of talent. uh, Although that has ended Um, those networks, if you will, of podcasts where they can, promote other podcasts on their network within the podcast that they have. Uh, that's uh, one solution to discoverability, but that um, that isn't a, that obviously doesn't work for everybody because you're going to have to get picked up, number one. And number two, they probably have a lot of other podcasts to promote on that network. And um, you can get lost in a sea of things, even within a network. And then the other issue besides discoverability is the monetization, as you were also talking about. Uh, out on the long tail um, where you don't have the listenership, the size of a Joe Rogan or a pod save America or New York times, the daily, when you're out there with uh, some listeners, 10,000 or more per episode, something like that. um, You can do some monetization, but you're not going to get rich until you uh, get mass numbers. And with so many choices, it's hard to get the the big numbers. Even getting 10,000 people is pretty difficult. Sure. I would imagine for most of the podcasts out there that their audience is four, six, mm-hmm. 18, something like that. Yeah. You know, it's true. Yeah, it's true. Especially for the, for the hobbyists, but moving past that hobbyist sort of level is very difficult, no matter how much effort you you put into it. Um, yeah, you know there is a there's a new service that is interesting. I think it has potential. They're working out some bugs called Podroll, where podcasters can do two things: they can offer up a sampling of another podcast in their own post role. So you want to uh, promote Hollywood and Levine in other podcasts, you can go through their list of podcasts and say, okay, for 6.5 cents per listener, I'll, I'll put myself in your post role after your podcast is done. And that gets some sampling and maybe you get some long-term listeners from that. Or you can go the other direction and be one of the podcasters who allows others to, to pay you to put you in pod in, in post role. Uh, People are starting to get creative doing some things like that because discoverability is very, is very tough. What's helped me is going on other podcasts. Oh, good. And being a guest on other podcasts Mm -hmm. and people hear me and they go, oh, this clown sounds interesting. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. See what he has to offer. I need to have something to promote today and I don't. So I don't have my own podcast other than the ones I produce for other people, but. Um, yeah, that's smart because you have eliminated the waste in that you're talking when you guest on those other podcasts, you're listening to podcast, you're talking to podcast listeners. So, uh, if you were to buy a billboard on the side of, uh, the 405 or something, why, well, you know, one third of the folks who drive past that in theory will have listened to a podcast in the past week and are podcast listeners, but you'd be paying for a lot of people that you just don't have a shot with. You consult podcasts. Uh, what are some common mistakes that neophyte 
podcasters make? Uh, I would say, you know, I approach that a little bit as a former radio person where there's always the threat for real-time tune-out. And so I spent many years trying to keep people in their seats past a eight minute commercial break or what have you. And I think podcasting could use a little bit more of that philosophy or what it brings you. On the other hand, there are many parts of radio that don't transfer to podcasting, but we won't go into that. Um, but for example, telling a story that is a long story that the punchline, the the point of the story is not going to happen for 10, 15 minutes. You're asking a lot of people to, in this day and age of low attention spans, of short attention spans, to sit through a lot of content to get to the first payoff. Uh, I think I'm using radio as, a, as an example, but you could also use stand-up comedy or any field where it's like... If, you, if you're going to get up and tell jokes in front of people, uh, not every podcast is full of jokes, but if you're going to have a payoff for people and get in front of them and ask for their time to get to the payoff, you get good at figuring out how to get from point A to point B in the shortest amount of time so that people don't get bored and they actually make it to the destination of that story. There's a lot of that. People turn on the microphones and then 45 minutes later, turn them off without any real pressure on themselves to use that time wisely within, or if you're not going to do that, having somebody go through and take out the tangents. Now I did a podcast three years ago, which I'm actually going to repeat next week. And the podcast was me and another wonderful improviser, Aoife Cardi. And we created the single worst podcast ever. I heard that. It was hilarious. It was yeah. great. It's yeah. it's one of your favorite, my favorite episodes of yours. Yeah. So I'm going to repeat that next week because uh, it's been three years and, mm -hmm. you know, that's, you know, I'm entitled to a rerun once, once in a while. But yeah, it was fun to try to pick out as many annoying things that <laughs> that podcasts do uh and then the audience can figure out well how many of them do i do normally anyway <laughs> right exactly <laughs> you're certainly not uh claiming to be innocent of some of those things the um i loved your transitions to the commercials uh, you would find a way to get into the commercials sometimes by transitioning out of your other content that was really good <laughs> you know, one thing I love about commercials on uh, on the podcast, and they used to do this in radio, but don't anymore, is live reads. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You know, because, and it's it's very smart, I think, for the sponsor. Yeah. Because you can personalize it, mm -hmm. and it also becomes programming if you make it fun. Yes. And I, I've never done a one minute commercial in only one minute <laughs> right they're getting you know? their money's worth yeah yeah mm -hmm. and radio used to do that a lot so again mm -hmm. if, if a station like khj is playing 12 minutes of commercials an hour mm -hmm. and four of those are 
the real Don Steele doing live reads and throwing in interjections and things like that, then it's like only eight minutes of commercials. And Absolutely. And and radio has actually gone to more of that lately. Uh, I was one of the guys back in my days there who was kind of nervous about, oh, gee, you know, how many different clients, how many different commercials are we going to let one of our DJs do? And how many of those live read DJ things are we going to put in a commercial break? Because it'll all start to sound the same. Blah, 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 blah. You know what? I was wrong. They are far more entertaining than a pre-recorded shouting car dealer or or whatever, or, or a a repetitive. So many of the even the humorous ads that are well written, sixties and thirties pre-recorded, they repeat so often, and that's where. Things like, now I'll be critical of TuneIn, the third time you hear a Home Depot commercial in the same commercial break, and it's the same Home Depot commercial, you're out of there. Uh, but those live reads are very entertaining, and there is research to back that up that people actually do prefer those. Listeners. Back in the 60s, maybe the most successful disc jockey, certainly on Top 40 radio in terms of ratings, was Dan Ingram on WABC. And he used to do live reads and he would make fun of the sponsors <laughs> and, for no extra charge. Yeah. And, and his commercials were the most entertaining part of the show. Yeah. And I guess the sponsors liked it. The ones that stayed with him because a, it made an impression. Right. And B it made the sponsor seem like a good sport. Yeah, absolutely. And probably that sponsor had, customers who would walk into their store or car dealership or what have you and repeat what Dan Ingram said and be laughing about it. And at that point, if they were miffed when they listened, they realized that it worked, that they were getting effectiveness from those ads. Uh, you mentioned podcasts. Uh, are they still on the rise or you say they've kind of tapered off? Um, are they going to go with the way of the blog? Oh, uh, well, to some degree, I think. I, I, I think there was a time when podcasts were, maybe still are, but it's waning, a fad. But what's being left behind is a definite trend. Um, it, it, it makes logical sense, if you look at it objectively, that spoken word content delivered in an on-demand digital way so you can start and stop and and choose what you want and and all of that that's not going anywhere that's a long-term trend that is obvious but there was a time when an fm radio had this and so did am radio there was a time when it really captured the zeitgeist and was remember 45 it was 45 years ago this summer that the movie fm came out mm -hmm. 1978 you think about that now and go all right that was probably like the peak of fm as a part of as a medium as part of pop culture that they would do a mainstream sort of to be oxymoronic counterculture movie uh, about how cool fm is and then an fm station wanted to not be corporate and it was a terrible script and not a great movie to tell you the truth but that they even made it um and it had a good soundtrack thank you steely dan and others um 
shows you that that was at the peak. The fad eventually wanes, and FM's been around ever since and continues. And despite what we're saying here, it's not going away anytime soon. Um, AM may be another story. And I think podcasts are moving from being just uh, from being a fad to being a long-term trend. Will there be as many as a trend, as many of the hobbyists and people who just jump in and say, I'm going to do a podcast? No, uh, but there will still be plenty of podcasts for people to consume. And it's a growing business. The revenue is going to be there in the hands of, as is the case of many industries in the hands of a concentrated few, but it's growing. Yeah. I've been doing it now. This is my seventh year. Wow. Every Good week. Yeah. 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 That's it. Do you find um, that your blog, I know you discontinued doing that day to day. That became a chore, I'm guessing. Yes. Uh, podcast has not. Mostly not. Good. <laughs> Today. Eh, <laughs> no, but. no, mo- mostly not. I, I, I enjoy it. Uh, it gives me a chance to sort of keep my hand in broadcasting. And I love doing the interviews. I love talking to interesting people and learning a lot from interesting people. So mm-hmm. to me, like this has been a joy to be able to sit and talk to you uh, and glean all this information has has been a joy so yeah and i don't have to write anything that's true <laughs> yeah that's true I, I i hadn't thought about that and that is a much bigger chore even for a writer did you know i i consider not on your level uh, but in other ways i sit, consider myself a writer um and people will ask me do you enjoy writing not really. I, I think I'm pretty good at it. Did you ever really just enjoy the act of writing? I enjoy parts of it, yes. When I'm working on a script and it's going well and ideas are coming, yeah. then yeah, I'm you know kind of in that zone. Yeah. Um, yeah. But believe me, there are plenty of days when I don't and I always maintain for young writers that what they pay you for in television is not only your talent, but the fact that you have to create on demand. Right. Okay. You, right. you can't wait for the muse to, uh, to capture you. Mm-hmm. You know, if you have a cold, if you've had a fight with your wife, you know, if the actors are giving you problems, uh, if you're next to the sawmill, <laughs> you know, you have to just keep plowing forward and and being creative. So right, right, yeah, yeah, yeah. But that brainstorming aspect of it, where it's fun because the ideas are flowing. Well, yes, mm-hmm. that's that's the part I enjoy too. Yeah, yeah, it just needs to happen more often. Damn it! <laughs> well, Dave, this has been great. Thank you so much. Thank you, Ken. Uh, appreciate it. This has been an awful lot of fun. I wish I had parting gifts. I have a Vicky Cars. Uh, it must be him album. Uh, I, I think I'll just catch that on the stream. Thank you. you know, it's analog. <laughs> yeah, that's true. There's it's some analog there. That's true. I don't even have a record player anymore. A uh, a turntable, as they say. Uh, but yeah, when I get one, business I'll... is you know making phonograph needles. Wow. 
That's a business. You know, I had a guy, he's talking about all these, these uh, changing technologies and businesses and so forth. There was a consultant that we used to work with who said to me one day, he said, you know what? People talk about how um, something is going the way of the stagecoach. There are more stagecoaches being manufactured today than at any time in history. If you want to make stagecoaches, you can make stagecoaches. Uh, so there you go. I mean, same with vinyl and and uh, uh, phonograph needles and so forth. Um, there's there's a demand for anything, and if you're good at it, I think you can do it. And they're my big sponsor, Acme Stagecoaches. <laughs> I thought maybe it was colon blow. <laughs> Only on the weekends. <laughs> Only if you listen to the podcast on the weekends. Whether you Thank need you, it or Dave. not, once a week. Thank you, Ken. <laughs> he was a fun guest, I must admit. Dave Beezing, longtime radio programmer. Hope you enjoyed that. And that uh, concludes our two-part interview. And next week, as I mentioned, I'm going to replay that episode from my podcast from several years ago now. It is the worst podcast ever. How can you pass up a chance to listen to that? Our thanks as always to Adam and Susie Meister-Butler, to Howard Hoffman, to Bruce and Jason Miller, and John Wolfert. My email address, uh, just in case you want to say hello, hollywoodlevine at outlook.com. That's hollywoodlevine at outlook.com. I'm also available on Instagram, where you can check out my New Yorker cartoons. So come back next week for the worst podcast ever right here on Hollywood and the Fine.